like she said, we are Kate and Leah Humphreys. So, um, I think we have a slide coming up here. You <laughs> see, you really haven't changed at all. 45 years ago, in October of 1978, Crestwood Baptist Church sent Peter and me to Paraguay, South America. We were 21. I remember a pastor saying where we visited, he's like, teenage marriage, you guys are just so excited about the ministry, maybe you should stay back a year and settle down a little bit, because you're probably going to crash and burn. Which, of course, we did it several times, but here we are. <laughs> we went with our 18-month-old daughter, Sherilyn, and we're expecting our son, Sean. And since this time, God has provided us with five children and 18 grandchildren. And I just wanted to mention, too, that Peter's parents, Bill and Muriel Humphreys, were supported by this church, as we have been all these 45 years. And we have kids who were missionaries and grandkids who are planning to be missionaries. And you guys have been part of that. So we just wanted to thank you. So after completing a course of Spanish study in a little Paraguayan town, Peter and I and our two children moved into a very remote, primitive tribal village. Am I doing that? A little bit closer? OK. Um, with the Manhui people in the western Chaco of Paraguay. And I remember getting off the little Cessna and seeing all the filthy children and a couple of filthy missionary children. And I remember thinking, my kids are never going to look like that. And 10 minutes later, I couldn't tell them apart from the Manhuis. <laughs> this harsh and challenging climate would be our home for 17 years while we learned the Manhui language and culture and translated and taught Bible lessons and eventually discipled faithful believers. Also during this time, God blessed us with more children, and about every four or five years, we would come back here to Canada, and we would get up and talk to you guys about how God was leading. And many, many times when we came home on leave, um, there were still no believers, and yet we felt like God wanted us to stay in that place. We sat in the villages learning their language and culture, um, asking them to teach us so that we could tell them the good news that we had come to bring and, and tell it to them correctly. They were monolingual, so there was no written language or alphabet, and it was a long time before we learned the language. We got used to all kinds of things that were foreign to us in our home country. This was done without my permission, totally. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't see, but the head of the snake is cut off. Otherwise, yeah, I still have nightmares about that. But anyway. And we also got used to many different kinds of jungle foods, and we learned to like them, none of which are served at Tim Hortons today. But God got us through all the buggy, hairy things that we ate. And um, we just spent... At first, especially countless hours, sitting around with them, just soaking in their language, culture, and environment. The first uh, Manhui person to publicly profess faith in Christ was Laan. And we wish he was here to share his testimony with you this morning. 
But instead, we want to share his testimony with you and just give you a little taste and flavor. I mean, really to do that, we would have to blow some sand in here with a really hot blow dryer so that you could all be miserable and sense the environment that they lived in. But they are very smiley people and used to living in hardship. So Peter is going to tell Leanne's testimony, and I will translate. I'm not always sure what he's going to say, but we'll give it a go here. My friends, I have a story to tell you. Way back in the day, we used to live deep in the jungle. We didn't see any of these funny-looking white people. It was such a hard time for us. There were days when we couldn't find anything to eat. There were also days when we couldn't find any water. A really hard thing was that we were afraid of everything. We were afraid that the evil spirits would kill us. There was also the big one-eyed red hairy monster. Was that? Okay. And we'd hear him out in the jungle making that noise. <laughs> Our inner selves would just shake and shake. It's true that we just lived in fear every day. And then one day, these light-skinned people came to live with us. And we said among ourselves, who could they be? Why would they come and live here? We wondered that too. <laughs> we could not understand each other at all. We listened and listened to what they were saying. It was terrible. Not even one word did we understand. Little by little, they began to understand our language. Okay, that's kind. They told us we were stupid every day. <laughs> years and years went by. That's more like it. But finally... They told us we are here to tell you God's words. We all said who could God be? We have never heard of God. So they taught us and taught us and taught us. It was just hard for us to understand what they meant. 
But they just kept teaching and teaching us. We put the M. Finally. I finally began to understand what God's word was saying to me. Okay, so hear this. So today, I want to tell all of you who I'm putting my faith in. On this day, I'm turning my backward parts to the words and teachings of our ancestors. And I'm facing the cross on which Christ died. So understand what I'm saying. I now understand that God sent his son Jesus to the earth and that he died for my sins. I now understand that Jesus' blood um, erased all of my sins. And I don't doubt for a minute that he is the only one that could save me from my sins. I'm so, so happy that God loves me. And that he also wanted to save me from my sins. Uh, I also want you to know, and I'm so happy that I know where I'm going to go when I die. I'm going to go and live at my boss's place in the heavens forever. Because he saved me. I can't save myself. And all of you who are believers in God's son and the work that he did, you're going to go there one day too. And on that day, we will see each other and understand each other. Because you'll all be speaking Manhui. <laughs> Thanks, babe. So after 12 years of, of teaching the gospel without believers, Laan, the gentleman that I just shared his testimony with you, stood up publicly and testified to his decision to turn his back on the religion, the anim, uh, animistic religion of his ancestors and embrace the good news of the gospel. I, I just love the selection of songs that we sang this morning, talking about the nations glorifying God. And now we have Manhui brothers and sisters who glorify God, many of which 
are already with the Lord because of their faith in the gospel. Uh, If you would like to learn a little bit more about the the work among the Manhui people and and that window of time where the gospel uh, was preached to them, there's uh, a bunch of books out on one of the tables there called Inkahait. That means in Manhui, very, very sweet. Uh, Please take a book. Uh, The kids might enjoy hearing the, the stories in that book as well. After 25 years of service in Paraguay, we were able to pass the baton of leadership to younger individuals we had discipled. We returned to Canada, and at that time, our leadership with what was New Tribe's mission at that time asked if we would spearhead an initiative to develop a comprehensive member care department that would be focused on helping our missionaries stay healthy. Many of you probably have known missionaries who have gone out, have hit hard times, uh, and, and not survived, and have had to leave the ministry. Um, and, and we were concerned about that, the attrition rate. And uh, so that is what we have been doing for the past nearly 20 years, is developing that program, building a, a member care team. Uh, and we have had the incredible privilege of hosting Uh, folks from at least 16 countries around the world. These are missionaries uh, who've hit hard times and are are in crisis. And we've had the privilege of listening to their stories and loving on them, guiding them with the word of God to see them uh, return to good health and strength and be able to return to effective ministry. And and we just just feel so privileged and blessed uh, to be able to care for these dear ones. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Living in the jungle of of the Chaco of Paraguay was not easy. Daily temperatures were often 46, 47 degrees Celsius in the shade. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of heat. Uh, As a Canadian boy, I found that exceedingly difficult. Uh, it, It just was painful. Uh, for me to be in that kind of an environment. Bugs were abundant. I hear people talking about the bugs here, the black flies and the mosquitoes, and I'm like, yeah, you know nothing about bugs compared to the jungle. Sicknesses were frequent. Uh, Sweat would sweep through the village, including ourselves, and misery seemed to be inescapable. But there was something else I struggled with that required a profound work of God in my heart. I found that even though I was surrounded by a nation of people who were in desperate need of the gospel and living in darkness, I found that my vision for the world was greatly reduced and I became myopic in my vision. And I also found that my perspective on life became quite temporal, um, focused on the things that were going on in my home and, and trying to make things more comfortable in that environment. And God began to speak to me about that problem, that condition I was in. So one day I took a, 
three by five index card. I don't even know if the young people know what an index card is. Us older folks, they were common for us. And I wrote these words. I wrote, keep your vision global and your perspective eternal. And I put it right on the wall in front of my desk where I spent eight to 10 hours every day translating, working on lessons. I had to see that. And I needed that reminder every day. It reminded me that God's vision is never any smaller than the world. And it reminded me that I could not afford to be consumed by the temporal stuff of every day, of of just trying to keep the environment a, a little more comfortable for me. But that I needed to be focused on those things that were eternally consequential. Fast forward many years, and here we are back in Canada. And I find that the very same things that that caused me to have a greatly diminished vision are still working to cause me to be myopic. And, And for my vision to go from seeing the whole world as needing Christ to what's going on right around us. And we forget that there's a world out there still waiting to hear of Jesus. We are so blessed, Lee and I, to be able to serve our our mission community, uh, not just within Ethnos Canada, um, but primarily to this group of, of global church planters. And we get to, to watch God do what only God can do to heal these people, to refresh them, to restore them. That's the work that God does. We don't do that work. Our, our ministry is to remind them of what is still true regardless of their difficult circumstances and to see their minds taken away from their uh, miserable conditions and their difficult challenges back onto the Lord of the Harvest. Because that's where we find true health when we focus on him. This uh, group here, uh, we are uh, responsible to guide them in ministry. They have, th- these three couples have just left Canada. I shouldn't say I've left Canada. They've just left southern Canada and have moved up into the Arctic. They are up just about as far as you can go. And their goal is to plant a church among the Inuit people. It is going to be an exceedingly difficult task. And we have the amazing privilege of walking with them in that journey and bringing the experience that we gained among the Manhui people and helping them be effective among the Inuit people. So now that I've shared the struggle that I had, not only while I was on the field, but also being here in Canada now, where things are pretty comfortable, uh, and there's a lot of other distractions, I want to ask a couple questions. And we're going to be quick, because we have other things we have to get to. The first question is this, how is your vision? 
I've shared how I've struggled with keeping my vision global, and I want to challenge you as well. And we see in the scriptures that apparently even the disciples, imagine this, the disciples are walking with Christ every day. They're right there. The master is right with them. And, and we come to that text, and it seems apparent in that text that their vision had shrunk. And they were focused on ministry and the, the needs right around them. And we go to that text in, in John 4, and, and Christ reminds them to lift up your eyes. Get your eyes off of all this stuff, this busy stuff going on around you, and, and look unto the harvest. Look beyond yourselves and what's going on in your lives. And I believe that unless we see the world as God sees it, we will have little to no sense of urgency to be engaged in some way of seeing the harvest complete. We have to be daily confronted with the reality that millions upon millions of men, women, and children around the world are still waiting to hear the gospel message. And it is eternally consequential that they do hear that message. And that comes back on us, the church, his church. Within the world of mission agencies, there is a sobering and alarming trend. And we've been monitoring this for a number of years now. What I'm referring to is the rapidly diminishing number of professing believers who are stepping up to the challenge and stepping out to go. This trend has been happening over the last couple decades, but we are at an all-time low, at least in my lifetime, of uh, those that are, are being mobilized. Even though the need is so great out there, we are getting fewer and fewer uh, people who are being mobilized, young people, to take the good news. And as we examine the factors contributing to this trend, we find two primary causes, among others, of course. And, and these are the two causes we're seeing. Fewer young people willing to leave home and go. That's just a reality. And there are so many cultural implications to that. But the reality is, is very few young people are responding to the challenge and saying, hey, by faith, I want to be part of that. It terrifies me, but I'm willing to go. And the second reason is fewer and fewer churches prepared to rally behind the few young people who are willing to go and say, if you're willing to go and God's leading you that way, you have a body of, of fellow believers here that are going to stand with you and we're going to mobilize you to take the gospel to some unreached people group in the world. Why is it that nearly 2,000 years since Christ stood with the disciples on the day that he ascended back to heaven and he said, you will be my witnesses. Not just here in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, not just in Samaria, but to the uttermost 
the far-flung regions of the earth, you will be my witnesses. And we still have above 2,000, as close as we can tell, above 2,000 distinct ethnic groups waiting to hear the good news. That's sobering. That's pretty serious. And what it tells us is that God's people have to be involved in that. There, have to be, there has to be another wave of young people saying, I'm willing. God is, God is big enough to, to make it happen for me, and I'm willing to go. And then churches that say, that's what we're about, is reaching the ends of the earth. I just love the, that probably the verse that every Christian memorizes first, John 3.16. I just love the fact that it gives us a clear view into God's vision. So let's read this together. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. And because that's God's vision, that should be our vision as well. Is that the, the need for messengers to go and carry the good news to these unreached people groups who are still waiting, that reality should haunt us. And we should be before the Lord saying, God, how do you want me to be a part of that? And there's a myriad of ways in which we can be involved. I think of the years when Lee and I were in the jungle, and we would get these packages from the, from the women's missionary uh, group here at Crestwick. And we would just sit there in the jungle and open up this package, and there would be cards in there and little notes. And it was like, life-giving to receive that. What a ministry. What, what a, an amazing part of the team of reaching the world uh, that we, we were blessed by. So there are any number of ways to be involved. We have to be involved. And we have to be able to connect the dots between what I'm doing today in my life and how the world is being reached. There's so much scripture that you're aware of uh, that talks about the, the responsibility of the church to go. And, and I know that going starts right here in Guelph. And I appreciate so much the ministries that, that are, are happening through Crestwick to reach the people of Guelph. The second question is this, what are you living for? And I have, I have found that this has been a struggle for me. Uh, to stay focused on, okay, God, today, help me stay focused on the things that have eternal consequence. And really, that comes down to obedience to him, because I believe every moment that we spend in obedience to God, in submission to the Spirit of God, doing his work, uh, that's eternal. And, and so that's the level at which we have to live, keeping our perspective eternal. The stark reality is, is that each of us are living for something. And, and life is, the reality of life is that we get distracted. Uh, 
and, and we find these other pursuits that draw us away from the eternal and cause us to be invested in the temporal, the stuff that won't last. I believe that the very definition of a, a wasted life is, as it relates to the believer is one that was lived for the temporal stuff of this world. There's a lot of things that we pursue in this life that are not inherently bad. They're, they're, they're necessary stuff. We have families. We need to invest in those families. But I want to challenge parents here this morning. Are, are you taking the responsibility of instructing those young lives with regard to God's vision for the world? Are they growing up knowing that at some point in time, God is going to want to use them in some capacity to proclaim Christ to the nations, either directly or indirectly. That's the responsibility of parents, to raise those kids with an understanding of what missions is all about. And this is one of the things that we find sobering uh, in the opportunities that we have uh, to work with young people, is how missions illiterate uh, this young generation is. They don't understand uh, the, that there's still a need out there. They think that the, the whole world has internet and therefore has the gospel. It's just not true. Education, we, we need education. But can you connect the dots between your choice of education and how God may want to use that to reach the world for Christ? What about your career path? How is that going to contribute to the completion of the harvest? And then here, even in your church, how involved and invested are you in the global outreach of this church? These are all questions that, that must be asked if we're genuinely willing to lay down our lives for, for heaven's cause. It's... Uh, Kind of an interesting commentary on one of Paul's partners in the gospel, Demas. He wrote this about Demas. He said, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. What a legacy. That was, that was Demas's epitaph. He loved the things of this life. And I will be the first commit to... First to, to confess to you this morning, there have been seasons of my life where I have, I have been Demas. I have loved this present life, and it's distracted me from the things that are eternal. There's a lot of things when uh, we read in Matthew that we're not to store up uh, treasures on earth but to store up treasures in heaven. There's a lot of things that can become treasures here on earth. And they're probably different for each one of us. But to understand what are the things that are going to be of eternal, lasting value. And are those the things that I'm focusing my life on? 
I'm sure that these, these two questions and the challenges that they present are not new to you. But I'm assuming that you are similar, at least to me, and that over a lifetime of serving God, I've needed to be reminded of these things time and time again. And that is the reason why I am sharing these with you, my brothers and sisters, this morning. And I hope that God will just take those thoughts and accomplish his purposes in your minds, and your hearts, um, this morning. I would be remiss if I did not close by expressing profound gratitude to this body of believers for the faithfulness of God's people over the course of my lifetime. Time doesn't allow to go into that history. I'm so thankful for Roy's mom and dad. They brought the Humphrey family to the the knowledge of the gospel. So thankful. So thankful for the faithfulness of, of this body of believers to mobilize a young couple wet behind the ears and to stand with us through those difficult years uh, in the jungle, and then to encourage us as, as God has moved us into the ministry of caring for this community of God's people. Thank you for your faithfulness. I believe that the investments that you have chosen to make in encouraging and supporting us have eternal consequence. And one day you're going to meet Manhui brothers and sisters and I don't think you'll be speaking Man- Manhui. I don't know what language we'll be speaking. But we'll be able to communicate. And we'll have all eternity to praise our God for what he did in bringing souls to the knowledge of the truth. May God continue to encourage you. And may God continue to raise up from this body of believers individuals who are willing to, by faith, say, Yeah, I'll go. Thank you.